Well, as you can tell by my awesome outfit today, we are still in our series, Ugly Christmas Sweater. In our last, yeah, my great tie, that's right. I almost like looked at this one last night, and I'm like, is this almost too ugly? But I like people are jumping on board. We had Stephanie up here. She had an equally ugly sweater. And then, Dom, Dom where are you? Come here. Because I don't think, come here. You didn't have an ugly sweater on. You had an awesome sweater, but your guitar was covering it. And you're robbing people at home of seeing the joy of the abominable snowman. Like, this isn't even ugly. This is just straight awesome. So we're going to talk about where you got this later, because I want one. Anyway, thank you. That was good. I can't leave you up here. Everybody will be staring at you the entire time. Uh, now, today, as we finish up our ugly Christmas sweater series, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, or the Bibles provided for below, below the seats below you, uh, and we'll have it up on the screen as well. Uh, now, the ugly Christmas sweater, it's been kind of a fun illustration. If you're tuning in on first time, I don't normally dress like this. It's been a fun illustration to help reinforce the not-so-fun truth that this world is filled with a, a lot of ugly. Now, the truth that we sometimes forget about because we're so looking at the ugly out there is the Bible teaches us as much ugly as out there is inside of here and in our hearts and each and every one of us. And so while it's not fun to look at our ugly, to examine our hearts, it is what God calls us to do. And even more, the good news of this is that when we examine the ugly in our lives and, and we look to the Lord, he can take it and turn it into something beautiful for his glory that you may touch the lives around you with his truth. For that is what we are called to do when we put our faith in Christ. So this morning, uh, we're going to touch our final topic, which is ugly actions. We've talked about ugly thoughts. We've talked about ugly words. We've talked about ugly motives. In fact, if you were watching online last week uh, or you missed, uh, I want you to listen to this message uh, every message is important, but I think last week's message had a unique perspective of things that we don't often think about, and I do not want you to miss it uh, as we talked about ugly motives. In fact, if you're here today, I have in the back some more of these hearts that I handed out in the back. And if you remember, you take a heart, you put a little black check on it, and it is a reminder to, anybody remember it? To check your heart. Oh, you make me feel so loved. You guys are listening. To check your heart. I've actually been carrying mine in my pocket all week. And so when I have a meeting or something like that, I'm just taking it out to help remind me to check my heart. Um, though I think I've realized this week I need to get about seven or eight more of these uh, around in my life because my heart needs a lot of checking. So if you want to grab a couple this morning, uh, feel free to do so. Put that check on that you may be able to check your heart. Uh, so as we finish out this week and we talk about ugly actions, we're talking about how we treat one another. And this is something that we need to talk about uh, because the Bible teaches, and we don't have a lot of time to go into it, that we have these two natures inside of us that are warring against each other. Now, if you don't have your faith in Christ, you only have one nature. You have a, a nature that is about yourself. But if you have a nature, if you put your faith in Christ, you have these two natures. This nature that wants to follow God, to serve, to love others, and you still have this sinful nature that's all about you, that is selfish and about yourself. And so, in this battle, it begins at a very young age. You see it when you see two siblings walking together, holding hands or hugging and just being loving and playful together. And then in the next minute, you see one sibling hip-check the other sibling right into a wall because they're angry over some heinous grievance they committed. And unfortunately, it doesn't change when we get older. You know, every year, uh, especially before the internet, 
uh, we would gather on Thanksgiving evening. We would we'd share everything we were thankful for. We'd pie and have this time of peace together. And then what, what happened the very next day? Right? Remember these photos? People fighting and beating each other to get stuff. And when I was zoomed in on this folder, it was like a 40-inch TV. And I'm like, who would fight over a 40-inch TV? But you're probably from a few years ago. Now, we don't have this anymore uh, as much because of internet shopping, praise the Lord. Uh, but the, the heart behind our selfish nature is still there. It just happens to come out in less dramatic ways. And we're often not paying attention to our own selfishness. But if you sit here today or you watch at home and your faith is in, is in Christ, God calls us to a different kind of life. He says this in Luke 10, 27, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And this doesn't just apply to people that you like. It applies to everyone. Four chapters earlier, Jesus says you should love your, does anybody know? Your enemies. So when he says neighbors, it ain't just the neighbor you like, it's the neighbor you can't stand. Love your neighbors and do good to those who would harm you. Now, even non-Christians like to quote this passage because it feels good. It sounds good to love your enemies, but it's so much harder to live out. I bet you right now, you can all think of people that you just really do not enjoy the idea of loving. I'm sure you can picture them. Probably doesn't take too much work. The spouse who maybe doesn't love you like they should, the, 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 pain, of a, the pain of a boss that you have or a fellow coworker, the neighbor who is not such a good neighbor, your friends who pull you down, who, who take rather than give, the people in your family who criticize you, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on. It's hard to love people like this, isn't it? It's hard. You don't want to. But God says it don't matter what you want. It's what you're commanded to do it. You're commanded to love. You're commanded to have actions of love. Commanded, not optional. And that's the problem we must change in our minds. We must go from it being optional to obedience to the Lord. Now, the good news is that if we have the right kind of attitude in our lives, it makes doing this so much easier. So much easier. So there's hope in that. Let's look at Paul's encouragement to the Colossians in chapter 3 to see what I mean. After getting done explaining all the things that Christ has done for us and who he is and how he shapes our lives, he says this in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness or gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together, everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and, and singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs and with thanks, thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
This is the word of the Lord. May we hear him today. You know, as I was hanging Christmas lights last night in the rain, I was thinking, why am I doing this? <laughs> and why am I still hanging lights five days or six days before Christmas? And I was like, man, people do crazy things for Christmas. Some of you might be those crazy Crazy Christmas people, anybody here? Am I the only one that doesn't? Oh, thank you. I appreciate one of you is willing to admit your honesty. I mean, we, people put on elaborate, crazy light displays. Not that I know anything about that. They put on crazy light displays. Lights everywhere. Or they sit around uh, fixing dead strands of lights, trying to revive them. I did that yesterday in bitterness as it took six light bulbs to get one light strand working. Six! It's crazy. Like, why am I doing this? And yet I kept doing it. But that's not all. They spend their money on ugly Christmas sweaters they'll wear once a year. Some of you, you sit up all night uh, in your OCD wrapping the perfect gift where every corner is equally folded, every piece of tape is hidden. There's a bow like that should be in an art gallery. It's so beautiful that's put on the top. Any of you here this morning? Fold like that? Okay, oh, Heather, all right. Right? And all for it just to get ripped apart in seconds. There's people who actually teach their animals, their dogs, have you seen this, to howl along the Christmas socks. Who does this? My friend was even telling me there's a, a Santa Con convention. Like, do these people have nothing better to do? There is something about this time of year that takes normal, rational human beings. And they completely reorient their lives around these holidays. Why do they do it? Because it's Christmas. It's Christmas. We're just completely focused on Christmas. That's why. And this is kind of the attitude that Paul is talking about in Colossians 3, of how we are to have actions of love. Because if we're going to be people who, who love others and have loving actions towards people, we have to reorient our lives to Jesus Christ. Reorient them. He says here in Colossians 3, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything we do in life, whether in word or deed, our action needs to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. How much? All of it. Everything should be lived out in his name. So for those of you who put your faith and trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, how are you doing in this area? How much of your life is being lived out in the name of Jesus? I mean, if you were to look over the past few weeks, or even the past week, if you were looking over the past few months, last few years, how much of your life in the way that you speak and the way you act is it dependent on Christ? How, what kind of role does he play? Is he there at all? Or is he just there on Sunday mornings when you come to church every once in a while? How much of your life? I ask this question and we need to ask it because it is in our nature to be or oriented around ourselves and not the Lord. 
In fact, I, I was going to, well, our actions are normally, uh, in our nature, we reflect the actions of other people. In fact, I was going to bring a, a mirror and I was going to tape it to my chest, but when you live in a house of six people, things tend to disappear. So you'll just have to picture one. In fact, I saw a, 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 a photo this week and it said, greatest ugly Christmas sweater ever. And it was a guy who had just a mirror taped to his sweater. I'm like, oh, that's pretty creative. But what we do is we often reflect. If somebody's nice to us and says nice things to us, we will say nice things to them. If somebody does nice actions for us, then we will do nice actions for them. We are reflecting the people around us. But God says no. When you claim to look to Christ as your Lord and Savior, all of this must change. Your, your actions are to reflect Christ what he has done for you out of your thankfulness. You saw in this passage we, we read, he mentioned thankfulness a few times. And then he goes and he gives us a few ways that this plays out. Colossians 12, let me read this again for you. He says, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. You know, the Greek word here for clothed or to put on, it's a word, you pronounce it endio, or enduo, some will pronounce it. And it's an active verb, you English majors. It's not, it's not a passive verb, it's an active verb. So it's something that you actually choose to do. It's like the, the, the kind of attention that I went to the store and I, and I chose this fantastic outfit and I put it on. It's the same kind of attention when you come to following Christ. I mean, you don't just wake up every, do you ever just wake up in the morning and you just have, you fall out of bed with godly actions just coming out of you left and right? You just start blessing everybody around you? I don't. I have to make a conscious choice to do this. And in the same way, we have to make a choice in the way that we love one another. Even the people, like I'm going to say it again, that are hard to love. So as we walk through these, and we're going to briefly walk through each one, my prayer is that you would ask yourself, am I choosing to put these on? Am I choosing them? And I, and I pray that you will hear and see the Lord as he speaks to you, because I guarantee you, I know you're all sinful people because we're humans, that there are areas that you struggle in these. And today is an opportunity for you to reflect on them and to make a different choice moving forward for God's Glory. So I pray that you will pay attention and ask the Lord, where do I need to grow? Where do I need to make a different choice in what I put on? First one, it's compassion. Compassion. Compassion is the deep awareness of suffering of somebody else and a desire to relieve it. I do not feel like we are a compassionate society right now. I don't feel a lot of compassion when I'm looking around, when I'm watching the news. I feel like I more see people with knives, like just wanting to stab everybody, metaphorically. Compassion is what he calls us to. Now, we all feel compassion for people when we see sad stories or hear sad stories. But let me ask you this. Have you ever felt compassion for somebody who has done you wrong? Somebody's done you wrong. Have you, do you have you felt compassion for them? I think it's safe to say in, in, in our human nature, is, uh, compassion for people who don't do us wrong is not our gut reaction, right? It, you know, if somebody cuts me off on the freeway, 
You know, I, I don't sit there and go, man, I just feel so bad that they don't know how to drive safely. I want to follow them home, and I want to minister to them and pray with them. Now, I may say I want to follow them home, but it's not to minister to them and pray with them, right? Uh, or, you know, when someone that lashes you out in, at you in anger, do you, do you feel sorry for them? Oh, Lord, I just, I pray that they learn how to conduct themselves in a more of a Christ-like nature. You know, and, and, go, and, and go talk to them softly? No, no, you want to get angry back. You want to yell at them back. You want to let them know that they hurt you, that they upset you, and you want them to make it right. But as we reorient our lives around Christ, we come to understand, and as we look to him and we're thankful to him, we come to understand that's not how we were treated by God. Romans 6 tells us that we are slaves to sin, our selfish nature. 2 Corinthians tells us that we're blinded to God's truth. God knows this about us. So what does he do? He has compassion on us. He sent his son to save us because he knew we could not save ourselves. And I wonder how our attitude would change towards other people if we saw each other that way. That when somebody hurt us or upset us, if we saw them not first by their actions, but by their blindness. There was this movie I saw a few years ago, and uh, the main character, he got beat up by his dad growing up, by his alcoholic father. And he had so much bitterness and anger in his heart. And some of you can relate to this. And at the, through the end of the movie, God ended up showing him that his father went through the same exact childhood that he did. That his father beat him. It's horrible to him, who was also an alcoholic. Now, does this excuse what the father did? No, but it helped the son have compassion for his father. He learned what his father was blinded from. I think it would revolutionize our hearts towards other people if we thought about them with compassion, wondering what are they blinded to? The reason they are so mean, the reason they act, the reason they slander, they, the reason that they gossip, the, the reason that they're, they're driven by money or power, or they, they neglect the important and right things in their lives. What if we asked ourselves, what are they blinded to? What can't they see that has them living this way? Where do you need to put on compassion in your life? Or about a, but what about kindness? Kindness, it's, it's doing something to positively impact those around you. In Ephesians 2, it talks about God's loving kindness. Because of God's compassion on us, he initiated, it says, acts of kindness. And notice what I said, he initiated. The gospels are filled with kindness after kindness after kindness. It says in, in, in Matthew, I think it's six, that Jesus came across the town and it says he had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. It means they, they did not know who God was. They, they did not have anybody telling them who the real God was. And so what did he do? He went and taught them. He did an act of kindness. And because of this, he brought hope and truth to so many. And if we too want to bring the hope of God this holiday season with all the people that we're going to be around, we must initiate kindness to others especially to those that we struggle with. And you, I'm sure you can picture and think about those. I'm sure there's family members that you are just looking so forward to seeing this holiday and spending time with. The ones that you struggle with. What if we asked ourselves, 
If God's acts of kindness led me to him, what could my acts of kindness do? I mean, we see that family member who will put everybody else down. You see the store clerk at the, at the, uh, that, that bites your head off or is not helpful, right? Or the coworker who will just do anything and step on anyone to get ahead, whatever it may be. When you have compassion and you realize what God's done for you, you can look to them and you can be able to say, man, they don't have the riches of Christ. They're trying to find their riches. They're trying to find their identity, their worth in something else. And, 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 and they don't see what God already provided for them. And so I want to show them. I want to show them. Did you, it's amazing how your acts of kindness can open up somebody's hearts and mind. Just even the littlest things, and you don't even always see it at first, can break down walls. Acts of kindness. Where in your life do you need to put on kindness? Because compassion, to have compassion, for it to be fully realized, must take kindness. It must take acts to relieve that pain and that suffering. Kindness with your words, with your texts, kindness with a gift, kindness with touch. Not dependent on who they are, but, but, who, but who God is. But to do this, the only way you get to this place is if you put on humility. If you put on humility. Just like Christ did. For Christ to achieve all that he did for us, it required humility. When you read Philippians 2, 4 through 7, it talks about how he gave up the glory in heaven and he was born in a manger. He became a servant. I saw this slide a few days ago and I loved it. It said the first king-size bed. Yeah, it's, it'll come to you. It will. It'll get there. Just let us sing it. And Tim Keller, he has probably one of the best definitions of humility. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. I'll repeat it again. It's not, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. The idea that, listen, Jesus sacrificed he gave up glory. He suffered that I might be saved. So I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to serve. It doesn't have to be about me. That's not my life. It's not about me. It's about him. So that I may help find someone else find salvation. It also presents itself in another way, this humility. Romans 12, 3, Paul says to the Romans, for by the grace given, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. It doesn't mean you look at yourself like a piece of trash, but it's where you, you look at others and you look at their sin, you look at their anger, you, you look at all the things you don't like about them, and, and you say, man, I used to be that person. I used to be like that. I, I, you know what? I'm a sinner. I'm still like that in some ways. And, 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 and you say to yourself, you know, maybe I don't do those specific things. I don't say those specific things, but I got my own struggles. I got my own wrong things that I say. I got my own wrong things that I do. I've done things to hurt people. And, it, and it's only by the grace of God that I found Christ. 
And so in that case, you will be humble enough. As John Piper said, humility is not expecting to have it better than Jesus did. And so you'll sacrifice, you will be humble, and you will serve those around you, not because they deserved it or earn it, because you want to have a chance to show them what God has given you. So where do you need to put on humility? Where do you need to step away from your pride? Now, along with humility, it comes gentleness, or it says meekness, kind of gentleness means the same thing. Well, I'm gonna use gentleness because it's, it's a word that we, know, we use and, and know more. Paul says, put on gentleness. And this is another way of, 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 of gentleness is thinking this way. When you have the ability to apply pressure, but you don't. When we feel passionate about things in our lives, especially when we've been wronged, we, we have this temptation to apply pressure to get what we want either through our words or through our actions, or sometimes we'll withdraw ourselves from people's lives to apply pressure to get them to understand how they have wronged us. And we'll apply that pressure until they make it right. Right now, some of you are applying that pressure to other people in your life who have wronged you. Some of you, you're having that pressure applied to you. And it tears apart relationships, tears apart marriages, families. But pressure is not what we receive from God. If you think about the very first moment of what the Bible says is true, that we sinned, God could have just been crushed just like a fly on the wall. And he would have been within his right to do so. For the wages of sin is, anybody? Death. But he didn't. He showed gentleness. He, he has given us a general revelation of who he is, his nature to experience and to enjoy He's put people into our lives and his word and his Holy Spirit. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't give up on us. In fact, the psalmist in Psalm 18, he says this, one of my favorite verses. He says, you have given me, oh, let me put it up here for you. Do I have it up here? I think I have it right here. It is. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. Did you know that your gentleness can make somebody great? And I think of this in the terms of parenting. Some of us parents, we had very hard parents. Very hard on us. Almost to the point where we felt like we were beat down. But that is not God. It's his gentleness that brought us into salvation with him. His loving kindness. And in the same way, when we're gentle with those around us, we have an opportunity for them to be great, not, not in terms of pride and greatness for themselves, but to be great uh, in terms of finding the riches that Jesus Christ provided for them. Where do you need to be more gentle? I'm not a gentle person. Some of you know this. I'm very straight to the point. So this is one of the things I like to focus on is gentle, gentleness. Where do you need to put on gentleness in your life? With who do you need to put on gentleness? Now, now, let me tell you what's going to take. A well, close neighbor of, of, of gentleness, this is going to take, we all love this, patience. Who loves patience? Who loves waiting for things? I love waiting for things. I get mad when I can't get my Amazon package two-day mailed. Sometimes I'm frustrated when I can't get it next day. We are not patient people. We do not live in a society that teaches us to be patient. Everything we have is geared towards now, 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 and now. Everything. 
And as technology increases, it'll only continue that way. We're going to get angry when we go through the drive-thru and it's not ready within 15 seconds. Actually, we're probably already there. I get mad when it's not ready right away. So I'm impatient. We are impatient people. But here's what Peter says about patience. Listen to this. Not many people know this verse. 2 Peter 3.15. He says, count the patience of the Lord as salvation. Count the patience of the Lord as salvation. Second Peter 3, I think it's 8 through 10. He said, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know what? That means God's desire for salvation for humanity is what his con- chief concern is. He's not rushing to judgment. Our problem is we often rush to judgment. We we rush to punish. We rush to see results. We rush to see change. But often, as we know in our own lives, change takes time. Are we willing to display, to put on the same patience with other people that God has given to us? Where do you need to put on patience? And you know, this is going to mean putting up with uncomfortable situations and relationships for a long time. He says this in verse 13. He says, bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. That means to endure something unpleasant. To endure somebody who's unpleasant. Now, most of the times we would rather throw a bear on somebody rather than bear with somebody. But Paul's saying, look, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to follow Christ... You have to be ready to stay in unpleasant situations. I mean, staying in that marriage, that's tough. Staying in that church, that's going through tough times. Staying in that friendship, that's a struggle. Staying in that job that you may not feel the most fulfilled in. So sometimes, he's going to call you to bear with people and situations for his glory. And anyone who thinks that becoming a Christian is easy has no idea what it means to become a Christian. Becoming a Christian is the most uncomfortable thing you will ever do because God will not let you out of some situations. Christ bared with us. The Holy Spirit, oh, the Holy Spirit bears with us. God bears with us as we stumble, as we fall, as we sin. How quickly do we stop bearing with other people? How quickly do we just give up on them because it's too hard or because we don't know what to do? And so we just wipe our hands. Bear with one another. You know what this is going to take? It's going to take forgiveness. That's how you bear with other people. It's forgiveness. He says, forgiving one another as the Lord has forgiven you. He doesn't say forgive if they say I'm sorry and they're repentant. He doesn't say forgive because you feel like it or they have changed their ways. He says forgive as you have been forgiven. Remember when Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive? And he thought he was being all spiritual and he said seven times. Because in those days, forgiving someone three times was like pretty spiritual. So he doubled it and add one so he could look good. And Jesus said, no, you ain't even close, buddy. 
you continue to provide forgiveness as God continues to provide forgiveness for you. Can you imagine if God stopped forgiving you? If you get 10, 10 forgivenesses, a word, you get 10 of them and then you're done. Can you imagine? I've been gone like the time I was one and a half or a hundred or a thousand. We'd be done for or a hundred thousand. No, his forgiveness continues time and time and time again as we look to him. He requires the same of you and me. He demands, he commands the same of you and me, period. The only way you're going to ever let go of anger and resentfulness towards other people that you're bearing with is forgiveness. Now, the one thing that ties this all together, that these attributes all fall of, because they're all attributes of something greater, and that was in verse 14. He says, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You ever had a a piece of clothing, like an ugly Christmas sweater, and it had a loose string, like hanging off of it? And instead of cutting it, like a smart person, you start to try to pull it and break it, and it starts pulling the sweater or the, the, the dress apart. I think we've all been there at some point. Well, in the same way, love is this common thread that runs through every one of these attributes that we've talked about. Love. He says, above all, clothe yourself in love. Are you clothed in love? Do you put on love in your life? Let me read for you First John so you can see what he's talking about. He says, anyone who does not, who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. And in this love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. It is in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The point being, as you draw closer to the Lord, as you put your faith in him and you begin to study him and learn about his love for you, you will naturally start to love others. That love will drive you to all of these, not just one or two, but to all of them. And, and even though people cannot see God physically, they will see his love through you. By the way that you act, the way that you speak, your actions, you will begin to reveal God's love to them. Could not, and I can't think of any more amazing thing to hear from God one day is to have him say, you shared with the world what I gave to you. Wouldn't that be cool? So my encouragement to you Don't let these verses about God's love, these times that we meet together, the songs that we sing just become rote and and tradition and and, and the routine for you. Allow his truth to settle in your heart, his love. Know that the call on your life is great to share this love with others. And then to choose to put these attributes on with the people around you. 